As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show's Weekend Review. In the FA Cup, Arsenal had a bunch of chances, but it's Liverpool who advances. Arteta thought the Gunners were the better side, which would have been true if they hadn't put so many shots wide. Elsewhere, City stormed it with the return of KDB. Newcastle took the spoils in the time we're Derby. <laughs> Daryl DK is back to fitness, and there wasn't a good game for Knott's Forest fans to witness. In the Spanish Cup, Barca and Real Madrid got across the line, and PSG faced a minnow and scored Nine. How about that? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to review this weekend of Cup Magic and much more, Taylor Rockingwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello, my friend. Already a better hosting job than the guy who hosted the Golden Globes last night. Well done, Ryan Bailey. Well done. I missed the Golden Globes. I saw um, Twitter reactions of Taylor Swift looking stern at something. That's all I got from it, Taylor. I can't tell if that was meant to be a joke, but it was uh, Joe Coy hosting. And he, he sort of did that unfortunate thing of like complaining about the writers of the jokes and then complaining about the audience not laughing. And it got painfully unfunny pretty quickly. So I'm excited to be here talking to you all about the hilarious things, like how much we're all excited to talk about the FA Cup. <laughs> Yay, yeah. Graham! Graham Ruffin, you were just saying before he, um, we came on air how excited you are about the magic of the FA Cup and the tradition that it instills and everything. Mm, yeah, I mean, to provide a peek behind the curtain, I was saying how the FA Cup, certainly the, the third round weekend, makes me feel like a bit of a modern football fan uh, when I found out on Friday evening that it was FA Cup weekend. They're actually Thursday because their games were started on Thursday. They stretched out that weekend yeah. just to you know increase the enjoyment. Uh, I have to admit, it wasn't, I, I wasn't overjoyed at learning that news. But Ryan, did you, did you believe in the magic of the Cup waking up at the crack of dawn to watch your team lose to Ed Sheeran's at Switch Town on Saturday morning? What time did that game kick off your time? It kicked off uh, 10 minutes before I woke up, in all honesty, Graham. I missed the first 10 minutes of the game. It was a 7.30 Eastern start. Uh, it was wonderful, no matter what the competition, to see AFC Wimbledon broadcast on American TV, albeit on ESPN Plus with all the other games, but I appreciated it very much, Graham. Um, but you, the modern, the modern football fan with your buying crypto tokens and hanging on TikTok. And... Don't put that on me. 
Do not put me, that on me, Ryan Bailey. Yeah, I said before we started recording, it's a bit like visiting family. You know you have to do it. The FA Cup is important, but it doesn't mean you have to enjoy it. And I have to say that is my overriding sentiment coming out of the weekend. We're picking the entertainment, entertaining matches to talk about on this episode was a little bit challenging. There weren't many okay. of them. Did you uh, all see how, how bad it's gotten that uh, it was so dull this weekend that Don Garber and MLS released a statement saying they also didn't want to play in that competition either? <laughs> that would have lightened things up, to be fair. Uh. Can we talk about that? I, I feel like actually they would have been like, no, we'll definitely join in. We'll send into Miami tomorrow. Wonderful stuff in their third kit based on the Miami Dolphins kit, which I saw this morning. Wonderful stuff indeed. Joe Lowry, uh, hello, welcome. Will you please give the listener a reason to keep listening to this podcast? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, Christian Pulisic did something good. Daryl DK hey, did something good. I tried hey. to infuse some Americans abroad energy into the FA Cup roundup that we have coming up and in Syria as well. I watched more Syria this week than normal because of other reasons that I think are, are pretty clear. Graham, I had an Ed Sheeran burn uh, to toss Ryan's way, but you did it first, so I've got nothing else to oh, add I didn't do the front. burn. Well what played. was the burn? Well, uh, I just see Ryan burned. Not really a burn. I had I had a pre-prepared Ed Sheeran song-related pun to toss Ryan's way. I'm just thinking out loud, Ryan, um, but they did lose to Ipswich Town. <laughs> there, there was a number of other ones I could have gone with. None of them were great, um, so I'm glad that you took some of the pressure off of that, Graham. Um, other than that, listener, just hang around for the vibes. We're gonna have a can, good time. It's gonna be. A can good someone day. explain the Ed Sheeran jokes? I'm, it's I'm a, confused. It's an Ed now. Sheeran song, so you, you know yeah, the, you know it hit hard when you have to explain the joke afterwards. Taylor, um, we're gonna workshop this one. If you've been to a wedding in the past five years, you will have heard "Thinking Out Loud" at some point. Oh, that no. was the only one. That, that's the only one I know. <laughs> I'm yeah. saying, did he make an appearance this weekend? Oh, no, 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 both sorry, of you Graham, all just you have jokes. Graham, yeah, let's. This. Let's, I'll explain for the courtesy listener. Ed Wimbledon played Ipswich, Taylor. Ipswich is uh, not only Ed Sheeran's team of support, but uh-huh. he sponsors them. He is the main Jersey shirt sponsor, too. Oh. Mm. Someone doesn't read the soccer dispatch. <laughs> <laughs> he sponsors? Like, is it his I knew picture? a gram. I read Is it his story. face? Is it his it's, name? Uh, it's whatever it's his like, latest tour is, tends yes. to be what's, what's on it. But also their third kit is, design, is Ed Sheeran inspired. I didn't huh? quite dig into what it's orange. inspiration it's is. It's orange. <laughs> It's black, isn't it? Orange would make sense. If it's, oh, it's an all-black kit, but I, I didn't okay. really fully understand that. But yeah, he's a big Ipswich Town fan. He played a role in attracting their um, their, their investors to the club. So mm. he's very much involved with Ipswich so Town. Is he the inspiration for, for Welcome to Wrexham, or is it the other way around? Have they inspired him, do you think? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's just talk that. <laughs> anyway, plenty to be getting on with in this... Uh, Bumper, sterling edition of the weekend uh, review. Before we get there, patreon.com slash total soccer show. Uh, that's where our bonus content lives. That's the best way possible, listener, to support us and our endeavors on this here feed. Uh, bonus uh, videos, bonus episodes, and of course, access to our Discord where all the cool kids are hanging out, plus us four. All right, so let's start off with the FA Cup, shall we? Um, I think, Graham, it's fair to say it wasn't a huge weekend in terms of giant killings. The third yeah. round. Often you get one or two big teams who go out. I don't think we saw that. Most of the big clubs got the job done. A couple of Premier yeah, no, League teams no, going to replay, though. Yeah, no no Premier League team knocked out by a, a lower league team. But good news, everyone. I'm just looking at the schedule. And tonight, it's Wigan Athletic against Manchester United. So uh, keep that magic alive, Eric. It's all on you, pal. There we go. A Manchester derby of sorts there. Very interesting, Taylor. Ed Sheeran has his own shirt number for Ipswich. Now yeah, I'm reading he's the number the, seventeen. The, I think. Now I'm reading the soccer dispatch. It's, it's, Wait, so really? it's not just that he gets his name on the shirt; he also gets his own number. That's taking it a bit far. 
Wow. Well, that's what happens when you're rich. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Uh, sorry, Ryan. What was your question about the thing that we're actually talking about? Oh, I forgot. I hope he insisted that he um that he had that squad number as well. Like, I want to be in the squad if I'm going to give you money. That was the uh, negotiation, I hope. Anyway. Yep. Uh, enough on Ed Sheeran. Mm. Graham, should we go and talk about Arsenal losing 2-0 mm. to Liverpool on Sunday? Liverpool scoring twice late on at the Emirates to reach the FA Cup fourth round. Uh, interesting from an Arsenal perspective, Graham. Uh, we had Martin Odegaard hitting the bar. We had uh, Kai Havertz with a... Fairly wide header attempt that could have put them up. Uh, Saka missing by uh, whiffing the ball from a free kick routine. Mikel Arteta, he said, his quote, Graham, merit-wise, performance-wise, there is no question who deserved to win the game. Was was he he talking about Arsenal? See, this comes... It's the the Van Dyke paradigm again. I think if you don't win a game, you're not allowed to... I mean, technically, he's not complaining about the way that Liverpool played, but... Yeah, it just just seems a bit like sour grapes. And to be honest, you could see you could you could feel what was going to happen in this game after the first half, where Arsenal did play a really good game, um, but weren't able to score because that's the way it's been going for them recently. One win in seven games, I believe now. So they had they had intensity. They started well with energy, and their press was giving Liverpool problems. And Liverpool, by the way, missing Virgil Van Dijk. And I think we saw, particularly in the first half, how important his long diagonal passes are to getting Liverpool to spring forward against that press. And they struggled a little bit until Klopp made changes at halftime, more on that later on. But for Arsenal, it was proactive and it felt like they went out there to prove a point. And and accidentally, they sort of added to the criticism that has been made of them in recent weeks, which is they aren't clinical enough in front of goal. Now, I'm just going to get on top of my soapbox straight away here. Um, Arsenal certainly had chances in this game. And just on the balance of play, I am sure they went into halftime a bit miffed that they weren't ahead. I do, however, think there was a bit of exaggeration over the quality of chances that Arsenal had missed. And it's one of those self-perpetuating things where because there's a narrative about Arsenal being wasteful right now, Every half chance has blown up into into something more. Alan Shearer, at the end of the first half, said, quote, Arsenal should be four or five goals ahead. Unreal. At least. It was the at least, not just the four or five. It was the at least. As, as if, like, if that had been six or seven, he would have gone, yeah, fair enough. That, that checks out. I checked the XG, and it was 1.3 at half time. And a lot of the time, Arsenal, I'm not trying to say Arsenal didn't have chances or didn't have opportunities to score or didn't play well. I thought they did play well in the first half. But a lot of the time, Arsenal were getting into good areas or they would win the ball in a dangerous position. But the chance itself wasn't always a clear one. I thought their decision-making was poor. And I get that it doesn't always show up in XG, that making a like a poor pass or a decision before the shot, if you get what I mean. I think the Kai Havertz one, where he's released through on goal and he takes about 30 seconds to get a shot away, by which time he's forced wide and it's a poorer opportunity. That maybe doesn't show up in like the expected goal value but on the on the tv coverage in the uk it was ridiculous the reese Ch- uh, nelson chance which comes from ramsdale lumping the ball forwards they were just like yeah just lob the keeper as if that was the, the easiest thing in the world to do so yes arsenal had chances they were probably the stronger team on balance of play liverpool did kind of flip the script a bit in the second half there is a little bit of a self-perpetuating thing with Arsenal right now and in, in regarding yeah. the discussion around a, a number nine and a goal scorer. Graham, who does Alan Shearer do work for these days so uh, on the BBC. broadcast side? All right, I want the BBC producers, next time he says something like that, to just cut to a 12-minute highlight reel of Alan Shearer missing, quote-unquote, easy <laughs> chances. Like, like, has he forgotten how to play soccer or how soccer works, right? One of the, the greatest goal scorers of all time, right? A fantastic number nine. I'm not disputing that whatsoever. But even the best players miss chances. Alan Shearer missed 
hundreds, if not more than that, of chances throughout his career. Graham, I, I love you because it is so it is so difficult to put the ball in the back of the net. I think that the tricky thing in terms of talking about this game is that Arsenal, on balance, in my view, really were the better team in this game. They did not put the ball in the back of the net, however, and they have struggled throughout this year relative to other elite teams in England and around Europe to create chances with possession. And if you think back to all of the chances that Arsenal created in this game, the vast, vast majority of them came from the press. Arsenal have been elite defensively, not just compared to England, but in comparison to literally every team in the world. They are a fantastic defensive team, and it's no surprise that it took them so long to break and that they gave up virtually nothing to Liverpool inside the first 45 minutes. But Arsenal still don't create a lot of chances with possession, and right now they are having a difficult time finishing off those chances when they do create them. So there are real issues for Arsenal right now. I personally do not believe that a shot going just wide or a shot heading off the bar is an indication of doom for a club. But there are other deeper-lying problems with Arsenal that really weren't all that relevant, frankly, in the first 45 because they were so elite with their press but became very relevant in the second half when they cooled off significantly with that press because, in my view, at least Liverpool started to go more direct. Two things for me. One, to Graham's initial point, I think he's dead on. There are like certain narratives and talking points that no matter what, people just get pulled into. I feel like when Spurs do Spursy things, Spurs fans love things being described as Spursy. That's one. Manchester United being chaos is one. And Arsenal having a ton of possession and not scoring. It feels like everybody's just like knives out. It's time to attack this team. And it did feel like in the post-match that I saw, it was so much blame on Kai Havertz not taking these clear-cut chances. And they're all like half chances on contested headers that he saw late. I don't know. It didn't feel like a particularly wasteful performance from Havertz. It didn't honestly feel like a very wasteful performance from Arsenal. And we're doing the thing of talking about the team that lost and not the team that won. But that is so much the narrative that, oh, Arsenal haven't won in their last three in all competitions. And are they starting to slip? And, and I think maybe because we've been doing shows together and you all have sort of convinced me, this feels more like a eventually they will start scoring. They're in a bad run of form now, but they're still creating chances. They had the superior XG on the day. Uh, they're getting people in the right spots. It's just not quite connecting. And there is definitely a school of thought that it will continue to not connect and fall off. But I think I subscribe to the one that it feels like Joe and Graham are espousing, which is they're not taking the opportunities such as they are at present, but they will. And over the course of the season, it will even out. Yeah. yeah. I, I, th I think, sorry to jump in, Joe, but I think uh, equally a, a, as big a problem for Arsenal. Um, so I went and looked at their open play XG this season. So Joe, you mentioned, Joe, that they, a lot of their chances came from the press and the press yeah. was very effective in this game. That was the best aspect of Arsenal's performance. And that is an important part of the way that they create chances. But it feels this season like they are... Um, and there has been a dip in that open play XG from last totally. season to this season. It feels like they are very reliant on one set pieces and two of those, hi those high turnovers to create chances. Whenever they have to create in a prolonged phase of possession, and I know that's difficult, but that's what you have to do when you're chasing titles. You're going to face those low defensive blocks. It's all a bit laboured. And to my eye, anecdotally, it feels a little bit slower than it was last season where they were zipping passes around. And so as much as Arsenal, I'm not trying to be totally contrarian here and say that a, a world class number nine wouldn't improve Arsenal of course that that player would improve Arsenal I have questions over who, who they could target in the transfer market who is that player that's available I'm not trying to be contrarian that player would improve Arsenal they are whiffing on chance more chances than maybe they would like I think they have a creativity problem as yeah. well that that is a big part of the equation totally agree I, I think it's a bit of a juxtaposition because in this game I thought Arsenal created enough chances through various means 
to win the game. I, I thought on the whole they were the better team. I know Ryan's poking fun at that, and there's there's fun to be poked there for sure. But I think this season, if you're looking at a problem with Arsenal, it has been chance creation. Just because it wasn't the primary issue in this match for them, I don't think that means it's any less relevant to the general discussion around this team. I'm sort of against the idea of Arsenal getting a number nine if Gabriel Jesus is healthy. In every game that goes by, and I know this is an FA Cup game, there's some rotation, but Gabriel Jesus hasn't been healthy for a lot of this season. And that is a legitimate problem. I think when he is on the field... Arsenal are so clearly a better attacking team with the ball in sustained periods of possession against a press or against a lower block. Without him, they can struggle, and they struggled in this game in possession without Gabriel Jesus. So I'm open to the idea of Arsenal finding the right player in that nine spot at some point, whether it's in January or in the summer, if they cannot get Gabriel Jesus on the field for consistent games, which they just have not been able to get this year. But there are, I think, other real problems as well, just as there are with Liverpool, who I thought were completely toothless in the first half. They really struggled without their first choice back line to contain Arsenal, to play through the press, and really needed some significant changes to how they were playing in the second half to get back in this game and credit to them because that's exactly what they did. Uh, Graham, I had a quick question for you because, Joe, I think that was expertly moving us towards Liverpool, which is a thing we should do. But you mentioned, Graham, that they have a creativity problem, Arsenal. Mm -hmm. What does that look like to you in terms of a lack of creativity? Because I saw a lot of ball movement. I saw, saw a lot of interplay. Obviously didn't see a lot of goals. And to me, it feels like they just, like maybe this is too cliche. It feels like they need someone who will just demand the ball and take that shot when other people maybe aren't as confident or can't get it onto the dominant foot. I felt like Gabriel Martinelli coming in felt like that player in brief spurts of a player who could sort of change things and bring that creativity and energy. Yeah, I think Odegaard as well in the past, looking at even this season, there have been spurts where he's been that player from um, making late runs from midfield and certainly last season where he scored a, a bucket load of goals. Um, but I think Gabriel Jesus, Joe hits upon a really important point with Jesus. He is not the he's not the number nine I think a lot of Arsenal fans would like. They would like a Haaland who scores, we would all like a Haaland <laughs> yeah. in our team who scores you know, 30, 40 goals a season. Jesus, I think, compensates for maybe a, a lack of conventional creativity in that Arsenal team because of the way that he creates space. So if you look at the way Arsenal set up, their goal scorers are Martinelli and Bakaya Saka. And Jesus, with his movement, creates space for them to get better goal-scoring opportunities. So I think creativity, we can think of creativity, obviously, in the use of possession, but it's also use of space. And I think Jesus is one of the best forwards around at doing that. When he's not in the team, the dynamic of that attack changes. When it's someone like Eddie Nketiah or Kai Havertz, they've even used Leandro Trossard. The fact that they've gone through those three players as deputies this season says to me that Arteta is not very happy with his with his you know um, secondary options in that position. So I, I'm not quite sure how they would inject more creativity into that midfield because I do like the partnership of, of uh, you know, Odegaard and, and, and Rice in there. But not having Jesus in that team has really disrupted just their general dynamic, I think. So Arsenal have now, as we record, jetted off to Dubai for some warm weather training. We are in the Premier League winter break of sorts, as it is. Um, Graham, I'm not sure how much more sunshine Ben White can take, given his current tan, which was <laughs> highlighted by the... Yeah, yeah. That wasn't just me. Okay, because I was white, having a real hard shot. time. It was so hard to tell who the Arsenal players were and their all-white kits or the white numbers, and the commentators <laughs> made a few remarks about that. Fair, fair enough. I, I could not believe that that was Ben White popping up there. I was like, that's usually where Ben White is, but is this really Ben White? Yeah, that, that boy is yeah. tan. He is He, he is. He, 
he yeah he's done something that's for sure so he's going to yeah. get some Islington's more had a very different winter to Scotland it would it would seem <laughs> <laughs> indeed uh, but to turn Taylor the conversation to Liverpool the team that won this game after all uh, top of the league at the moment through in the cup league cup semi-finals coming up this week as well Europa League still in the contest at the moment I mean generally speaking going very well for Liverpool this season and they did very well in this game given the absences he had in the back line and in the front line yeah absolutely I enjoyed uh, uh, Klopp's uh, quote about Virgil van Dijk which I will not say verbatim but was basically it's very difficult for Virgil van Dijk to look bad but he looked bad enough that we sent him home Uh, so I, I think that was a pretty big surprise to not have him involved that the defense looked as solid as it did, I think, is pretty commendable. This was another game, uh, to Joan Graham's point last week, in which I think you could see the value of Allison as their goalkeeper. He makes some good saves, but he's also just such a motivator, an energizer, and anytime there's a play, anytime a defender even just like flicks it out of bounds for a corner, he's there picking them up, clapping them. You can just see that energy there, and I think, especially as the game went on, he was pretty good at the time-wasting and the... Uh, actively frustrating, uh, frustrating of Arsenal players. So I thought he w- he had another good performance. But I thought overall, my takeaway from this game was that if you are looking for a manager who, when the vibes are good, the vibes are great, that man is Jurgen Klopp because just the kind of breeziness of his approach to the pre-match interviews, to the post-match interviews. I know he is an intense fellow, and I know sometimes he can be overly intense, and his players have suffered for it. But then there's the flip side of that when everybody seems kind of bought in and the vibes are good, where there isn't that visible frustration. And I felt like in contrast to Liverpool, Arsenal, you could see it at times. You could see just the stress boiling over. Odegaard sort of loses his temper a few different times, somehow doesn't get booked for it, but definitely loses his cool. And there was a, a tension, there was a tightness to the way Arsenal were playing as the game went on. And Liverpool, uh, to their credit, I felt like, Played looser, albeit defensively and without creating nearly as much in the first half. Uh, should have been five, five or six nil down, I would say. Uh, but then the way Klopp makes changes, the way they kind of continue to have the belief and the way they back themselves to get goals, even if they don't score one of them, I think it, it, it's, yeah. it feels to me like maybe I wrote them off a little bit too soon in maybe not the title race, but I feel like Liverpool will just continue to be a very good team in the top three for the rest of the season without dropping many points along the way. Yeah, and those changes that you referenced, Taylor, were so important to, number one, kind of revealing that demeanor that you're talking about with Klopp, where he brings on, who does he bring on again? Connor Bradley and Bobby Clark, two players that I, I hold my hands up, I hadn't heard of before, two kids, academy kids. And at that point, it feels like Klopp is kind of going, well, we'll just see what happens here. Mm This will be fun. Whereas you contrast that to Arteta, the whole vibe around Arsenal was we have to win this match at all all costs. And of course they didn't. But from a tactical point of view, the changes that Klopp made before those two late changes with the kids coming on were really, really important. So he made a few tweaks at halftime, but I think the biggest one, the most consequential one anyway, was pushing Darwin Nunes over to the left wing. So Klopp, it felt like he recognised that Arsenal were having a lot of uh, joy against the Liverpool build-up when it was all kind of short passes and playing out. We've spoken about that press already. So he wanted to go direct more often, and and Nunes became the outlet for that down the left side. And we've seen Arsenal struggle against teams that play direct against them this season. I remember, and even last season, I remember Manchester City doing it in a match last season where they were just lumping the ball long, I would say even more crudely than, than Liverpool did in this game. And the, the changes Klopp made, it, it tilted, the at least in an attacking sense, it tilted the match towards Liverpool. And even moving Alexander-Arnold into the middle after Conor Bradley came on at, at right-back, 
I think that's done purely to have him play balls in behind to release some of the pressure that Liverpool were were coming under, and and it, and it worked because Liverpool they carried much more of a threat after the changes, and uh, that in turn kept pressure off their defence as well. It didn't feel like they had the foot on their throat quite so much in in the second half. So yeah, a real smart recognition from Klopp of what was needed at that point of the match. Yes, indeed. I did enjoy Bobby Clark coming on, by the way, Graham. He just sounds like a 1960s Liverpool musician. Like, the Bobby Clark Five was definitely a thing, I'm sure. Yeah, he's surely a football manager regen. By the way, he is the son of Lee Clark, uh, who you'll remember from the 90s, your favourite decade, uh, Mm -hmm. Ryan. But Liverpool have a lot of football manager regen sounding players. Connor Bradley... Bobby Clark, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott. These aren't real players. These are football manager (laughs) imaginations. And Lee Clark, I presume, would have played in those famous Liverpool-Newcastle games back in the day as well. I'm sure he would have been in those. He never played for Liverpool, right? He was was Newcastle. Newcastle, yeah. Yeah. I wonder how his sons ended up at... Normally, the son ends up at the club where the father is a legend. But anyway, we do We do record these as an audio format, but we can see each other. And I've never seen Joe's uh, eyes glaze over faster than this conversation, (laughs) which is saying something, because they they do glaze glaze over pretty regularly. (laughs) But this time, exceptionally quickly, Joe. Joe, just a quick uh, couple of minutes on Bobby Clark. His middle name is Lamont. Any thoughts on that? It's actually a a spicier middle name that I would have guessed for someone named Bobby Clark. I assume it's Robert Clark. Um, So Lamont in there, I think, adds a little bit of flair to his game. I think that makes me like him 10% more. There you go. Excellent news for Bobby Clark. I mean, Wikipedia is not the end-all be-all of sources, but it has him as Bobby Lamont Clark uh, as his full name. I hope he is just straight-up Bobby and not even Robert, Uh, but (laughs) we'll we'll have to confirm that with other sources that aren't Wikipedia. We shall do that indeed. Soccerway feels the same way, just for the record, Taylor. Uh, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, more FA Cup, more cups from around the continent, and much more back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we're reviewing the weekend, everybody. Uh, one of the biggest FA Cup fixtures of said weekend was the Tyne Weir Derby in Sunderland. Newcastle coming uh, and playing Sunderland for the first time since March 2016. It was a 3-0 win for Newcastle, Graham, and it wasn't very good from what I saw. <laughs> well, it was good from uh, Newcastle's point of view. They had they had a right laugh, including posing for a team picture in front of the away end, orchestrated by Jason Tindall himself, who <laughs> loves it, what a lad he is. But uh, I was I was really looking forward to this one because... This is truly one of the biggest rivalries in English football. Um, they hadn't faced each other, though, in a match since 2016, so we, we haven't had this 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 derby for a long time. There was this piece of controversy in the build-up to the game where Sunderland, for some reason, decorated the away end of their stadium in Newcastle branding. They had away the lads written on the walls, and there was even a picture behind one of the bars that said, cheer up, it was like a framed picture. It said, cheer up Peter Reid. 
who's a former Sunderland manager, and Newcastle fans used to sing that, like, mocking Peter Reid. Mm. And that was put up by Sunderland to welcome away. F- I, I, so bizarre. <sighs> and it, I, I just don't understand what, what the plan was there. And once fans started complaining about it, they brought it all down and the, the CEO put out a groveling tweet um but yeah once the match started the atmosphere was fantastic the noise really came across on tv i enjoyed all the social media stuff the newcastle fans getting um escorted to the game by the police because the police thought that was the only safe way to get them into the stadium so that kind of built up the tension um that was really the only interesting bit of the game though because yeah. it was totally one-sided which you know maybe we should have predicted but newcastle came into this game on a, on a bad run of form. I think they had one win from seven games. They particularly struggled away from home. Sunderland had won three in a row and they have a new manager in Michael Beale. So there was hope that they would be competitive, but they weren't, as the scoreline hmm. suggests. Yeah, the, the series of self-owns continued after that game. <laughs> Sunderland are another team, look, we were talking about the narratives. They're one that I feel like it's easy to pile on when it comes to them doing things that maybe aren't the smartest business. In this case... Uh, because the uh, Newcastle supporters were sort of brought in directly, taken out directly, they uh, stay in the stadium after full time. So they're obviously there celebrating uh, to sort of keep things calm, I guess was the idea. Uh, the bars were allowed to stay open, so they continued to pour pints, so much so that they poured them in advance. They poured a ton of pints, assuming there would be this crush of Newcastle supporters. Uh, and then the card machines went down because the Wi-Fi was bad. So they couldn't charge for them, so they had to just give Newcastle supporters free beer after they were uh, trashed at <laughs> wow. home. A Not a great us. day for Sunderland across the board. Yeah. I mean, wow, I wish every away trip was as hospitable as that. I gotta that, say, a stone arrival would have poured those down the gutter in front of them, surely, Taylor. <laughs> Maybe. But I like to think that this is Newcastle supporters having some, like, Ocean's Eleven scheme in place to have the... Like, they definitely had a card reader, like, blocker oh, they had, like, or a something. Wi-Fi blocker. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, what a shame. <laughs> we timed this perfectly. Wonderful stuff. Uh, Sunderland, I've got a Sunderland uh, fan friend who I was talking to uh, said that the team weren't very sounds, good in sounds, this game. Sounds made up. Sounds made up. Yeah. We all know I don't have any school, friends. Taylor, come on. Yeah, he, he goes to a different Sunderland fan school. You wouldn't know him. Um, but, but yeah, Sunderland very, very disappointing in this game, uh, of course. So um, Newcastle going through with a 3-0 win fairly easily in the end. Also, Graham, I think part of the shenanigans, I did notice um, a Sunderland fan got to St. James's Park and put a Sunderland shirt on the Alan Shearer statue the night before. Oh, I saw that. Which was yeah. uh, some nice... A lot a lot of confidence for a club that aren't boi- owned by an oil state. Like, I, I, yeah. it feels it feels a little bit maybe false bravado from Sunderland in this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that bravado hasn't been aired as a <laughs> nah. Sunderland fan. <laughs> nah. Indeed. Well, uh, maybe it'll be another eight years or so before they play them again. Who knows? Uh, Tottenham! Uh, Joe with a 1-0 win over Burnley nice Premier League game here it was great really good performance from everybody involved yeah sounds good yeah yes I did not watch this game so if something happened in it that I oh I did I watched this game never mind I watched the <laughs> you second put half notes of this in game. it dude <laughs> I was like why are you coming to me on this Ryan like what am I supposed to say about this game this game featured oh, wow weekend. this is this is really good stuff Joe in your, so in your defense and not taking shots. There are times when I think because Ryan is doing six things at once, he will throw to somebody who, ha- like, he'll throw to me when I haven't watched a game. And the feeling of just pure panic and dread in that moment is so palpable that I totally know where you're coming from. Yep. But I believe, Joe, to refresh, you have Pedro Poro. I do. Banger versus I do. Burnley. I do. Oh, and, so good. and Tottenham generally the better team in this game. Um, Ryan, I thought you were maybe throwing to me out of some Timo Werner um, transfer uh, anger oh, that you have coming. built up. So I was I was sort of trying to read that moment. Pedro Porro gets the only goal of this game for Tottenham. 
It is, for my money, the best goal of the round. Graham, I know you spotlighted another very, very good goal, which is, is right in contention as well. Burnley goalkeeper collects the ball in his box, throws it forward. Poro intercepts the ball, drives forward. No one pressures him outside the box. So he's just like, well, I, I guess I'm going to shoot this. And he hits a laser with his right foot into the top left corner of the goal. It's a lovely, like, sort of diagonal, cross-angled shot. It's a really good goal from Tottenham. Again, they were the better team in this game, which is not a, a great surprise given what we know about Tottenham and given what we know about Burnley. Um, and yes, again, I, I did watch the second half of this game. It was clearly a memorable one outside of that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, good memories for you? Uh, no, not really. I regret. So on Thursday night was was Crystal Palace Everton ended nil nil, and it looked like this game was going to end nil nil as well on Friday night. So I kind of regret watching this game. Although the the Pedro Porro strike is 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 a nice one, but mm. it comes from Murek, the the Burnley goalkeeper, throwing the ball straight yeah. to Spurs. I cannot recall a team making so many mistakes playing out that have cost them goals. It's not just that they're making those mistakes, they're being punished. I can't remember as many mistakes by one team in one season. It feels like there is one in most matches. And that's it's difficult to have a good season if you're gifting the opposition a goal in every match. Graham's uh, advocating for the return to Route 1, hoof it down the field. Is that right for Burnley, Graham? Well, look what it did for them before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look what, yeah, look, yeah. What, uh, look what's happening now this season. I it ain't wrong. It ain't wrong. Uh, Manchester City with a 5-0 win over Huddersfield. Remember when they were in the Premier League, Joe? Memories. Dwayne oh. Dennis Holmes. Who is that? Yeah. Danny Williams as well. And uh, some of these as well. Oof. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, once again, fabulous hair. Loving the look for Kevin it's De Bruyne. So Made his return to the competitive game for the first time since August. Took 17 minutes to register an assist. It was the fifth goal, Jeremy Doku's goal. He got the assist on. A classic City assist back from the byline, but with a cheeky little chip involved as well. Graham, good to have KDB back. It is from Manchester City's perspective, but not for the rest of the league. Yeah. Because uh, it kind of feels like this could be a bit of a turning point in their season because I think with him being back in the team, things sort of snap back to their default. I think City have done a decent job of absorbing both uh, De Bruyne's injury and Haaland's injury as well. But you've you've just got a sense, or I've certainly had a sense in recent weeks, that they need those two back. And they're kind of... In absorbing those two injuries, they've got a little bit deviated from their usual structure and approach. And I just think having those two back in the team, there's a good chance that they just snap back into being the winning machine that we saw in the second half of last season. There we go. It's going to repeat itself. Uh, Man City going through very comfortably there against Huddersfield, who are struggling in the championship these days. Is Man City, and like this reminds me of Pep's Barca team, are they the best example of a team that when they score, you're just sort of like, well, that's that. Like they, there's no chance they're going to concede two or three goals and and let this be a game. When they score the first one against Huddersfield, I was watching this game and thought, I feel like I feel like I've seen enough. And then when Alvarez scores four minutes later, that sort of solidified that, like, yeah, okay, I've seen all I need to see. I feel like they're the team I've watched the most first forty minutes of and been like, I've seen what I need to see. Mm. Definitely yeah, when they're much. playing Huddersfield. I'd say. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. With in in the UK, I don't know what it's like in the US, but um, I don't know if all the games, the FA Cup games, are shown on ESPN or ESPN Plus. In the UK, it's about picking. You only get a certain number of picks. So BBC and ITV, whoever, they have to pick where they think that the upsets might happen. Man City Huddersfield was actually on TV. I have no Mystic. idea why, because there was never an upset happening in this game. Yeah, uh, I I actually bet the four nil, five nil, six nil scoreline in this one, and it came through because of those specific reasons bbc naughty 
ITV. <laughs> Nottingham Forest 2, Blackpool 2. Uh, the League One side Blackpool, Graham, were 2-0 up in this game. Yeah. Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo afterwards, after conceding two early goals, said, this was not the way we want to do things, which is accurate. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to avoid that replay at all costs. Um, of all the ties involving Premier League teams, this might have been the most entertaining. It was the closest we came to a Premier League team being knocked out by a lower league opponent, although West Ham drew with Bristol City as well but it really did feel like Forrest were on the ropes for for a period in this match at Blackburn at Blackpool excuse me they thumped uh Nottingham Forest 4-1 in the FA Cup third round mm. last season so they had previous and as you say Ryan scored two goals in two minutes in the first half and it made it seem like another thumping was on the the cards but Forrest responded well the equalizer from Morgan Gibbs White was an absolute stunner right into the top corner not quite on the Pedro Porro scale but not not far away to be honest and after that you felt like Nottingham Forest were applying a decent amount of pressure. Blackpool, to be to be fair, they showed a solid backbone to not capitulate after that point, and they even managed to maintain a threat. So it wasn't a it wasn't a backs to the wall job for the full ninety minutes. So in the end, actually, I think a draw was was probably fair, even yeah. if Nuno is complaining about that. And he has right to complain because, uh, as I mentioned, this is the Premier League winter break, so teams taking advantage of that, including the aforementioned Arsenal, uh, there'll be a replay for this one. Uh, so Nottingham Forest will well, not get that. Yeah, Go it's not a problem for Forest though, because they've got 100 players, so they just send 50 <laughs> players in the winter break for the, the ones they plan on using in the Premier League, and then the other 50 can uh, play the FA Cup replay. Perfect. All right. Uh, and just to, just to be clear for the listener, this competition still has replays. Is it only at certain rounds now? They've, they've been looking to reform it, haven't they? But basically, it's because a they're dumb. Is that why they've been looking to reform it? Not. I mean, maybe the FA Cup organizers are dumb, but specifically the concept of a replay is dumb. Surely, is that is that why, Ryan? It's, I, I get where you're coming from. It, it's a traditional thing back from when the top teams didn't play 65 games a season. The I think the the logic of keeping it going, Joe, is for when it's smaller teams, when it's your Blackpools yeah. and your order shots and your Stevenages, they get a chance to make some more money from this, from the gate, from the receipts, basically. Yeah, there's from a, from a sporting point of view, um, you're right, Joe, there's not or your tone is correct. I get the feeling that you are not a fan. Well, I never, I never put any opinion down on the. Yeah, um, I, they, they are a bit, they are a bit stupid, and they feel, they feel a bit antiquated now. Um, but from a financial point of view, I remember Burton Albion drawing against Manchester United at home in the FA Cup, which then meant they got a game at Old Trafford. Yeah. And cup yeah. rules mean that they then get half the ticket revenue. Yeah. For, from that so that's huge for for these clubs but then I, i'm a, a lower league fan we do replays in the scottish cup as well if i'm drawing up the first game against a big club i want the extra time and penalties to try and knock them out because obviously the, once you go to you know you get the replay the big team almost always wins the replay they sort of sort themselves out so i, I i'm kind of split as a lower league fan obviously it's great for the finances of the club but from a sporting point of view i want to knock one of these big boys out yeah, I get that. But as, as a fan of a lowly club for Wimbledon, like in the past few years, we've played both Arsenal and Tottenham at their stadiums in the Cups. And for us, we know we're not going to go too far in the FA Cup. We're not going to win it as a, as a League Two team. It's really valuable to get that away game where you get 50% of the gate. That could play, you know, that pays a lot of salaries for the season, basically, for the team. True. It's just, it is a a sad reality that one of the teams is like, please, please let us play this game so we can be financially solvent and actually have money. And the other one is like, but we want to go on holiday in Dubai. This yeah. is so frustrating. <laughs> it's a very different world those two teams exist in. We've already booked the five-star hotels <laughs> right? for friends and family of all the players. Yeah. Salt anyway. Bay's going to ruin us. all of our food. We hired him personally. <laughs> Yeah, that's fun, isn't it? Anyway, uh, back down to earth we come, Joe, with West Brom 4, Aldershot 
One, Daryl DK coming back from uh, his uh, long uh, uh, injury absence through his Achilles tendon surgery. Got a goal. He back. Did I know who Aldershot Town was before this game happened? No. Um, do I know who they are now? N- not really. Your, pronunci- um, but- your pronunciation says no. Go on. <laughs> Sorry, how, how am I supposed to say it? You go. Uh, Aldershot. It's a, like a military town in uh, the south of England. There you go. See, I've always known lots about Aldershot. I hear it's a military town in the... I forgot the region already. But what matters most is that Daryl DK is back. If Daryl DK isn't your favorite USMNT player, I'd wager he's towards the top of the list. Uh, and he's now finally healthy after that Achilles issue. He's had you know three big-time injuries over the last two years. It's been a really rough stretch for DK. And scoring against a non-league team is, is not any indication that he's about to be anointed with any real role for the U.S. going forward. But just like cool for him you know this is a great opportunity for him to get back on the field play 45 minutes the goal he scores I don't know if anybody else saw this is like a classic Daryl DK goal or I guess Mm -hmm. almost classic because he's not 40 yards away but he still takes the absolute cover off the ball as he slams it first time in the box it's an awesome DK-esque goal and it's good to see him back on the field it is indeed. A couple of other FA Cup storylines I'll quickly rattle through. Uh, Maidstone. Maidstone in Kent in southeast England, Joe. Just a bit geography lesson for you there. Uh, a 1-0 win over Stevenage. Maidstone, the lowest ranked team in the competition. They're in the sixth tier. They beat Stevenage in the third tier. They'd already beaten the League Two team in the previous round as well. So well done to Maidstone. Uh, Chelsea going through with a 4-0 win over Preston. David Beckham's former team, Preston. Uh, Raheem Sterling with a nice free kick in that one. Although it was a slightly... Uh, tense one for about an hour for Chelsea before they may, uh, broke the deadlock in that one. West Ham have gone to a replay with Bristol City after a 1-1 draw. Bristol uh, operating in the championship. Bristol City, that is, not Bristol Rovers. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday with a 4-0 win over Cardiff. I don't know if you saw this, Graham. Sheffield Wednesday's yeah. keeper, Cameron Dawson, saved two penalties in three minutes in the opening seven minutes of this game. Wild. Yeah. And I think Cardiff had something like 22 shots in yeah. total and ended up losing 4-0. So yeah. not entirely. If Arsenal thought they had a rough one on Sunday, they want to look at the Sheffield Wednesday-Cardiff game. It could have been worse. Indeed. Cameron Dawson, the uh, the the brick wall of a goalkeeper, apparently, in that one. Uh, and also, as we mentioned, AFC Wimbledon, the mighty AFC Wimbledon, suffering a 3-1 loss to Ed Sheeran. Um, Wimbledon went down to 10 men in this one. Our best player, by the way, uh, Ali Alhamadi, who has a very good story. He was an Iraqi refugee who now is uh, living it up and, and and is the reason that we are in playoff contention at this point. He is absent. He was at the Asian Cup, so we were already uh, a, a man down effectively in this game. Um, Taylor, the, one of the scores for Ipswich, Axel Tuanzebe, scoring his <laughs> first professional career goal. How about that? Didn't expect him to show up. Yeah, There's a name. Yeah, yeah. all right. Good, good, good for him. Good for Ipswich. Uh, a good weekend overall for players that I kind of was like, oh, yeah, right, that guy still plays. That's yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First first professional goal as well. That surprised me, but here we are. Uh, it came at Plough Lane yeah. this week. The other weird minded link is obviously Kieran McKenna, the manager, is mm. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's former assistant. I, I, I wrote a little bit about this in the newsletter. Um, Ipswich are playing this really dynamic possession, like high-energy football, and then you contrast how Manchester United played when he was there. You have to think, what happened? They're just ignoring you when you were at Old Trafford. <laughs> I told you guys before we started recording, I could make this into an hour and a half long show instead of like a, like a 45 to 60 minute show. And I felt like just kind of casually bringing up various mentions to Man United and how they're we're not very baiting good. You is what's happening. It does feel that way. <laughs> and I am sort of happy that we're recording this one before they play Wigan today because that, 
That feels like one that they might end up like giving up a road. You're not set. Emergency yep. pod. <laughs> Emergency mm-hmm. pod after that one. We'll see. We'll see about Hardest that. Hardest of hard passes. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, Ipswich, by the way, listener, are second, I believe, in a championship as we record. So you up may the be seeing them in the Tractor premise. Boys? Are they the Tractor Boys? They are. Yeah, they're Tractor Boys. Yeah, there yeah. we go. East Anglia, uh, Alan Partridge uh, country. So they are uh, yeah, very much a farming place, Taylor. Oh, you can't mention Alan Partridge in relation to Ipswich Town. That's surely sacrilege. He's famously a Norwich fan, isn't he? Or have yeah, I got that East, wrong? It's all the same area, Graham. They're rivals. Of course. So uh, listeners, quick update. Joe's eyes glazed over again. Just want to make sure <laughs> we got that one on there too. Whore. Uh, I was I just wanted to say, boys, and then I, you lost me after that. It's it's looking like uh, uh, Ipswich may return to the Premier League next season. Just keep your eye on them, listener. Doing very well this season. Uh, goal of the round alert before we go to a break. Uh, we teased it earlier. Uh, Peterborough with a three 0 loss to Leeds. Patrick Bamford. Take a bow, son. Uh, chest yeah. control from about 20-something yards outside the box. Turn and volley. Superb, Graham. Yeah, it was. I'm getting James Rodriguez vibes from that goal, mm. the 2014 World Cup. It's not It's not quite a carbon copy. He's, he's a little bit more vertical in terms of leaping to then take it on his chest. But the way he swivels it and volleys it into the far corner is an absolute peach. There were a few peaches in this round. Joe mentioned the Pedro Porro one. I mentioned the Morgan Gibbs-White one. Casey Palmer had a good one for Coventry City. But in my mind, this is absolutely pick of the bunch. This is this can't be compared to anything else. Yeah. It's, it's a stunner. Agreed. Look it up, listener, if you haven't seen it. Also, Leeds wearing a lovely pinky kit, which is nice. Enjoyed that. Is it lovely? It's like someone's dropped oil into water, is how I would describe it. You can find beauty in oil and water sometimes, Graham. Okay. <laughs> I'm still reading well, from, from Graham saying that Patrick Bamford had Hamas Rodriguez vibes. In the, like, is that in the sense that like they're both kind of faded into obscurity, but occasionally remind us that they were once good? Is that what you the mean? The magic of the cup is real, baby. <laughs> there we go. It does go. funny things to players. Does indeed. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk Spanish Cup, French Cup, bit of Serie A. More coming shortly. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. We go now to our Spanish soccer correspondent, Graham Ruthman, for a quick update on the Copa del Rey. Uh, where should we go first? Barbastro, who are in the fourth mm. tier of Spain. I knew that already. Uh, with a 3-2 home defeat at the hands of Barcelona. Yeah, unfortunately, nobody in the UK has picked up the TV rights for the Copa del Rey this season, which is a, which is a shame because I really like the Copa del Rey. When I used to do Spanish football for, for Eurosport, it was something I always... Looked forward to upsets seem to be a little bit more common, I think partly because the lower league teams, um, they always host 
unlike the FA Cup, which is just out of the hat draw. Not many upsets this year, though, because 14 La Liga teams are through to the last 16. Mm. It might well end up being 15 because Villarreal were level with Unionistas in their match last night when the floodlights went out and it was suspended. Newcastle fans um, strike again right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Barcelona <laughs> they are, very good. They uh they are one of those the, the teams that are through although it, it certainly could have been more comfortable for them. Uh, Barca had a lot of opportunities, couple of disallowed goals as as well which shows how close they were to bursting through on a number of occasions and kind of racking up the goals. They were 2-0 up and then it was 3-1 by the time Barbastro scored their second to make it 3-2. So there wasn't much kind of scoreboard pressure, but the fourth tier team they made it a real fight they hung on they posed a, a real threat from set pieces where Barcelona struggled badly and there were times in the second half where it felt like an upset wasn't completely out of the question Oriol Romeo uh, can never pronounce that name he gets hooked off uh, uh, I think half time or early in the second half because he just couldn't keep the ball Barbastro were putting him under pressure he was coughing up every time that was giving them a foothold in the centre of the pitch so Barcelona certainly didn't have it all their own way and they still haven't won a game by a two-goal two margin since September. Um, and that just makes every match very volatile. So they were hoping for a comfortable win from this one. They didn't get it. Oh, well. Well, they are through, as are Atletico Madrid with a 3-1 win at Lugo. Girona through with a 2-0 win at Elche. Real Madrid with a 3-1 win at Anandina. Graham, is it, um, do the, the bigger team play the away uh, role in the Copa del Rey, a, a la yes. the German Cup? Yes, so it's always a, a lower league team versus a higher league team. Uh, it's seeded in that regard, and the lower league team always hosts. And certainly this round of the cup, I'm not sure. I think by the, the next round is around the 16. I think that disappears for the next round. But yeah, it's one of the reasons I really like the Copa del Rey is that you get those those kind of smaller grounds. And, and Real Madrid visiting Arendina, who I think their 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 capacity of their stadiums like six or seven thousand. So that that really brings uh, something different to the competition does indeed a uh, quick uh, look at the french cup as well psg with a 9-0 win over six tier revel in their coupe de france tie there uh killing and back bay with the hat trick in that one uh the french tie that caught my eye though listener was the uh, was the game between lille and golden lion golden lion from martinique <laughs> in the caribbean lille got a 12-0 win in that one, Joe. <laughs> Just a 12-0 win. Golden Lion uh, with an 8,000-mile round trip. The fun thing about the Coupe de France is that it's open to all French territories. I believe, if uh, the, the uh, research tells me correctly, 8,500 teams are eligible to enter the French Cup. And there was about 5,000 who entered this year as well. And, uh, yeah, the team Golden Lion coming over to Lille to get a 12-0 pasting uh, and 37-to-1 shots ratio in that game. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to the Golden Lions adding some CONCACAF energy into the French Cup. I love it. Let's make it happen every <laughs> yeah. year. I love that their name literally could be the name of a pub team, Golden yeah. Lion. It, it, I'm sure yeah. there are a few pub teams called Golden Lion. I also love that Lille gave them a guard of honor as they walked off the pitch after smashing 12 goals past them. Mm. Yeah, I feel like if they really wanted to... There was a quote from Fonseca afterwards where he, was, where he said something along the lines of, yeah, we just wanted to show them respect. <laughs> maybe a li- maybe they would have liked a little bit less respect than 12 goals against them. <laughs> Very respectful stuff indeed all around at Lille. Congratulations to them for that one. Uh, one thing left to do, that's check in with a league that was happening this weekend, Joe. Serie A, Empoli with a 3-0 home defeat at the hands of AC Milan. Guess who got an assist? Christian yeah, Christian Pulisic, Pulisic did. It's kind, yeah, it's kind of a boring did. assist in the grand scheme of things, but Pulisic, I thought, was really good in this game. And Milan, not entirely excellent all the way around, but 
but showed <coughs> what they can do when they are at their best for moments. So I, I don't know if anybody else watched this game. Really, really good, sharp defending early on from Milan, who were at their best, like every team, in transition. But when they're in transition, are, I think, among the elite in Europe right now. So there's a, a moment early on in the game that happens to lead to a goal, but is really good regardless of what the finished product is. It's Milan defending in their 4-2-3-1 shape. Pulisic is on the right, Leao is on the left. Leao's been in a slightly freer role, or certainly was in this game, so that's something to watch going forward. And then it's Ruben Loftus-Cheek as the number 10 behind Olivier Giroud. And it's great defensive work to win the ball, and then a team-wide counter that gets them up 1-0. If you haven't seen this goal, this might actually be my favorite goal from the weekend, just because I'm a sucker for the, the team-wide passing sequences. But it's Adley tracking back to win the ball in their defensive shape. Then it's Calabria on the right who plays it up to Pulisic. Then it's like just all this nice, clean, like one-two touch passing that gets the ball to Rafael Leao's foot, who has not been himself this year, Rafael Leao. He only had eight goal involvements between Serie A and the Champions League coming into this game. But he takes, you guys know those like long FIFA touches, right? Where you can just like spam the stick yeah. and hit the ball for it. That's exactly what this is, right? Leao and Mbappe are the two players in the world that do this better than anyone else. Mbappe does it best. Leao is second best, but he pulls it off perfectly in this moment and just like skates his way down the left side and cuts it back for Loftus-Cheek to score. It's a, it's a fantastic goal that is the perfect example of Milan at their best. They have not been at their best this year, but with Pulisic and Leao on the counter, and maybe Pioli iterating a little bit in terms of the positioning of his wingers, Pulisic tucking inside, Leao drifting, as I said. Like maybe this is the thing that's going to help them elevate. I, I think the title's mm. without, uh, you know, sort of out of reach at this point, but I think there's still room to improve between now and the end of the year. The finish from Loftus Cheek as well in that goal is incredible. Yeah, great, he just opens up his body, first time finish into the far corner. I also enjoyed the goal that Pulisic uh, assists on, scored mm. by Chaka Traore scoring his first goal in Serie A. It does seem like AC Milan are very good at having that conveyor belt of, of young talent. So they signed him from uh, Parma as a teenager. He's still only 19 years old. I was do I was doing a bit of reading about him, and he his story is pretty incredible. So he migrated to Italy from Ivory Coast on uh, a, a tiny little kind of dinghy boat when he was 15 years old, the ones that you tragically hear about you know, capsizing and, and, and killing people. He went with his agent on that boat from Ivory Coast. The agent went to jail for basically human trafficking, as far as I could tell. So his story is is genuinely amazing, and I am rooting for him now to do well for, for Milan. Wow, there you go. And Christian Pulisic, by the way, that's his fifth assist of the season. Seven goals in all competitions so far as well. I think he's had a goal involvement in like his last eight games. He's in yeah. uh, hot form, is Chrissy Pulisic at the moment. Very good. Milan in third place in Serie A. Inter are still top with a 2-1 win, win over Verona. A 93rd minute winner from David Fratesi in this one. Verona missed a late penalty. There was some uh, calamity at the end with some... Uh, stuff on the break and the Verona goalkeeper going up. All very exciting stuff, Joe. Did you catch this one? I did. Real quick. Um, Taylor, do you want to talk about how much you loved Chrissy Pulisic? Or... Hated it. Okay. Gotcha. Hated That's what you're that. shaking your Hang head on. Or worse than Chrissy P. Is that better? Chrissy Pulls? Chrissy Pulls. <laughs> Ryan knows Chrissy Pulls' parents, so he can call yeah. Chrissy Pulpul. Chrissy Pulpul. Um Anyway, steering us away I from all of this. this discussion <laughs> um, so that Taylor has some semblance of joy remaining in his life. Inter 2-1 win over Hellas Verona, as you said, Ryan. Uh, Inter took care of business in this game. This this game was wild, like some really nice back-and-forth action. So to, to quickly set the scene, Inter score first off of a lovely, lovely goal. Not quite as good as the Milan one, but very, very nice. And then there's an equalizer in the second half. And then Inter get the go-ahead goal in second half stoppage time. And then Hellas Verona get a PK deep 
in the second half stoppage time and it hits the post. So it could have been 2-2. Like there's a, another world, several of them perhaps, where Inter do not collect three points on this game against a team that's in the relegation zone right now. But they end up getting the win in this match. Really fun game to watch. The first goal, as I mentioned, is lovely from Inter in their 3-5-2 shape. One thing that I, I continue to be fascinated by when I watch this Inter team play, who, for my money, I said this last week, are the best team in Italy, and I, I'm not sure how close it is. I, I love watching Hakan Celanolu play the number six role because I, I don't think I ever had on my soccer business, a bingo card, excuse me, Celanolu becoming a number six. Like, he used to be a, a more advanced playmaking type and, and players tend to move back as they get older and Chalanolu is older now than he used to be 29 doesn't have the same legs old. I know crazy how that works um, but like he is adapting to that role really well and he doesn't play it like a traditional number six either he defends as a six and he possesses as a six for most of the time but he will absolutely push forward into the attack which then lets Barella maybe rotate back deeper occasionally Mkhitaryan will do the same or a center back will step forward it's so fluid when you watch this team play I love getting to see what Inzaghi cooks up, and I think uh, Chalanolu's role is one of the most fun tactical tweaks of this Inter team. Indeed. Uh, Torino with a 3-0 win over Napoli, by the way. Another poor result from uh, from Napoli here. One point in the last four games, an aggregate 9-0 score against Napoli in those four games as well. Yikes. Uh, defending champions not doing much defending of that championship at the moment. Uh, Salonatana with a 2-on home defeat to Juventus here. Dusan Vlavic with a stoppage time header to get the dub for uh, Juventus in that one. And we had Roma hosting Atalanta, a 1-1 draw between those two sides. Graham, we had the cult of Mourinho in action here. Indeed, we did. So first of all, some stuff about the game itself before we get on to Jose. First half of this match I thought was really entertaining. Cope Miners put Atalanta ahead after only eight minutes. The response from Roma was really good, though. The equalised from a, a penalty, but they had Atalanta pegged back for a, a good 20 minutes before that, Paolo Dybala was doing Paolo Dybala things. Atalanta had threat on the counter through Coop Miners and Moranchuk. So it, it was a good game, but the real headline from this was the amount of needle there was throughout of it. Uh, most of it from Jose Mourinho on the touchline. No. Who was sent off again. <laughs> I think that's his fourth red card this season. Some things never change. Jose Mourinho certainly hasn't changed. And he was in the second half, the game sort of fizzled out towards the end and Mourinho made some changes which said he was kind of content with a point. But the way the camera is at the Stadio Olimpico, you can see Mourinho along the bottom. And that's where my eye was drawn for most of the second half because he was uh, he was giving it to that referee, yeah. shall we say. By contrast, Gasparini, uh, the Atalanta manager, he he has some, some good little shots as well. There's the moment when Roma get the penalty and Gasparini at first is saying to the fourth official, like, come on, like that didn't like he keeps pointing to his eye in a very... Uh, avuncular Italian grandpa sort of way. And then I think Mourinho gets involved, and that's where you can see Gasparini sort of like, oh, you saw it? You saw it too? And just like little, a little bit there, and then he goes back to being this very calm and collected manager. And Jose did sort of ratchet it up from that point on. Roma didn't get a couple calls that I, that I think Jose definitely thought they should have gotten in the first half, and that definitely he seemed to... He went nuts too, at the yeah. Lukaku one. You yes. see that one, Taylor, where Lukaku's bursting through. I, th I think it probably was a fill. I think it He's was. He's about 35 yards out from goal, yeah. though. And he kind of, like, dropped to the ground, Mourinho. Not quite Louis van Gaal, like, flat out on the ground style, <laughs> but, like, on his haunches. And they, uh, very entertaining. And they showed him, like, they showed it... It was a strange angle where you could just see like Mourinho's torso as he gets up off the bench and goes running out. And I don't know how far it is from the bench to the actual pitch side, but it looked like he ran 
all the way up to the like to the official on the pitch with how far he ran to scream his uh, protestations. Yeah, that was odd to me. Uh, the pitch in this game, I, I put this in the show. It's one of the few th- show notes. It's one of the few times I really did get distracted for ten minutes trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, if people, I'll send a, a screen grab. But like the field ends exactly at the sidelines and the end line. Like there's no. It looked like there was no grass beyond it. So you saw players sort of slipping as soon as they went out of bounds. Uh, and then watching closer, it's just that they've let that part of the grass die. So it's like so I, it's like brown gray. I think they painted the field. That's my takeaway. Somebody went out and spray painted the field green before the game started. So Taylor, I think that I had no idea what you were talking about. By the way, when you put that in the running order, but uh-huh. I went back and had a a look. Yeah, I think it's astroturf. I think the around the pitch is astroturf. Yeah, and okay. the it is. Gra- the pitch itself is the is grass, and I think the reasoning is Stadio Olimpico has a like a lot of runoff. Um, but it doesn't have a running track, so you need you need to cover that with something, and so it's I, I would guess number one expensive and number two difficult to maintain just the full grass all the way out to the stand. So my theory is that it's astroturf, it's, pl- it's uh, plastic grass. That would explain yeah. why they kept slipping. I just love the weird little bit in the goal itself. That was the only part that wasn't in the field of play that also got the the spray paint treatment. Uh, it it just looks so odd. It looked like they were playing on like Boise State's field. Joe will get that one. Uh, but then they'd overlaid a green pitch on top of it. Yeah, uh, having been there a few times uh, over the past few years, um, it does usually look like it has more runoff than that. I think Graham's right. It is, it is AstroTurf. They've just painted it, maybe even for sponsorship reasons, because it aligns a little bit with the uh, stuff around the outside. And also the running track is blue, so they made it look like that. So hold on. Well. I've just seen your picture. It was not blue on the British broadcast, so I think there might be some of that okay. technology going on, oh. you know, the stuff that they use on the advertising boards. It was green. I could definitely see a difference. It was darker green okay. on the broadcast that I watched. Okay. Okay. It wasn't blue. So there um, we go. Graham, the other thing that, like, as always with Jose teams I took away is just how big of a team Roma is. They're all over six foot tall. We know that's a thing Jose likes. And it's the first time I've wondered, like, I hope this question makes sense. Does he like big players because his teams play slow and so he can afford to have big players be physically dominant? Or do his teams play slow because he only likes big players who maybe aren't fleet mm. of foot? Well, see, he moves clubs so often that yeah. he just likes guys that can help him move the furniture oh, there it is. around. Okay, cool. Yeah. Just got to so get that couch down the stairs. Yeah. Jersey screaming pivot the whole way. Pivot. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. It's yeah, it's part of the it's part of the medical that they have. <laughs> Hello, Romello. Uh, yep, that's you all guys... good. Can you just uh, lift the sofa for me, please? Just just quickly. So you pivot like down the stairs for just for a minute. Like, exactly. It's like, that's, we're going to have you run on the treadmill for 30 minutes. And then, yeah, you do need to mount this television uh, that is very heavy. Uh, we just <laughs> wow. got to make sure you've got that strength and the conditioning right. <laughs> It is cute that you think uh, professional soccer players move their own furniture when they move. No, they home. move Jose's. <laughs> no, Jose just stays in hotels. Yeah. Yeah. Never has right, to yeah. move anything. He doesn't have any of his yeah. own furniture. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, let's wrap weekend review there. Um, we could all agree a very action-packed weekend, uh, which we all enjoyed very much. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much indeed for your contributions. Uh, thank you very much. Joe and I and David Goss will be back tomorrow to talk about some moves that have happened in Major League Soccer, some moves that might happen. Denny Boanga apparently wants to leave the league. Leave the league. I read that this morning. That's a fun thing for MLS fans. Uh, And we'll also talk about the U.S. roster uh, that has dropped the January camp. The Camp Cupcake roster is out. And there are some interesting names and then some names that I did not know existed. So uh, I look forward to that conversation with Joe and David tomorrow. As do I. Joe Lowry, uh, thank you very much for your contributions there. Looking forward to that chat too. Ah, right back at you, Ryan. And Graham Rutherford, pleasure as always, my good man. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. 
Listener, thank you the mostest for joining us on this epic adventure. We'll be back on the feed very shortly with that aforementioned MLS episode. But for now, bye! We'll be right back.